Hi. Y'all gotta wait till I say it. Um, hi. Okay, so this is our last time together, which is kind of a bummer. But, but. Hi. Okay. Um, I wanna uh, show you guys some pictures of my family. First of all, today would be my um, late wife's 30th birthday. I wanna introduce you to Paige uh, up here on the screen. That's Paige. And that is me with an awesome haircut. <laughs> so uh, her favorite thing at Hume Lake was the milkshakes. This is us, yes. Y'all think I chose the thug life, but you're wrong. Thug life chose me. I get to do, uh, now as a single father, I get to choose all my own birthday cards, or Christmas cards, and this was last year's, and this was this past year's next one. Sandlot theme, get some. It's me and the kids. On a, uh, one of the coolest parts of this past year for me was um, I actually ended up meeting someone who I proposed to, who is now my fiance. This is it's Carolyn. Uh, you've seen her uh, riding around with us in the golf cart and hanging out with the kids. That's Carolyn Rice. She's a labor and delivery nurse and certified nurse midwife. So if any of you need a baby delivered, Sarah, I'm looking at you. <laughs> She's delivered thousands. So um, it's been a cool part of like the redemption of, of what God has um, kind of made from a tragedy in our lives. But I wanted to introduce you to those people real quick as we jump into this. Uh, I wanted to thank you guys also as we turn to the book of Daniel, um, just for your respect and your honor this week as you have um, let me share my life with you and vice versa, getting to talk to so many of you just out uh, either on the lawn or the Pawnee deck has been really cool. So thank you guys for that honor of being able to share this week with you. We are wrapping up with um, kind of this theme it feels like we've been going through from day one, that there is a very distinguishable separation between our culture, between Babylon and the kingdom of God. And th the way that it's talked about all throughout scripture and even all throughout modern times is that God's church, his people, everyone who belongs to him, uh, who has stepped over that line and made a profession of faith and said, which many of you did last night, God, my life is yours. I, I don't wanna be king of this anymore. I, when I'm a king, I'm Nebuchadnezzar. I set up fake statues. I worship foreign gods. I'm not a good king king. So you're the king of my life now. And I believe that when you died on the cross, you paid the price for my sins. And now here's the, here, herein lies the rub. You now are up on top of a mountain. And while Hume like still exists in the country of Babylon on planet Babylon, uh, we also get to live up here in this little bubble for a week. And it's great. You're with like-minded people. Um, if there's, if there's people here who are um, trying to promote Babylon, they are the minority, not the majority. Uh, the activities that you've done this week are not, are, <laughs> most of them, are not Babylonian activities. The, the shows or the videos that you've been watching are promoting the kingdom of God, which are anti-Babylonian. You have sung songs like Yahweh and almost taken down the whole balcony, right? With your little jumping maneuver. <laughs> Anyone here get a little concerned where you're like, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Those are anti-Babylonian. Those are very kingdom of God, anti-Babylonian. And then every night you listen to about two and a half hours of me talking about the kingdom of God and anti-Babylonian ethics. Then we have conversations in cabins about anti-Babylonian things. And then you hang out with people who have made a commitment, hopefully most of us, 
to becoming part of an anti-Babylon movement in your home churches. And here's the difference. I saw y'all seniors, right? Everyone's like, let's take a selfie tonight. You dressed up really nice. You went on the far side of the lake where all of the snakes are. And you said, we're gonna take these selfies. We're gonna take pictures of ourselves. It's gonna be great. And here's the, here's the differentiation is some of you will continue in your life and you are going to wake up when you're 40 years old and maybe you're 50 years old, whatever it might be, and maybe you show uh, the pictures of Hume Lake Christian Camp 2023 to your kids, right? Or maybe at some point to your grandkids, whatever it's gonna be. The majority of you in here, if statistics hold up, will have kids, will have grandkids, and which at this point for a lot of us can be a terrifying idea, right? Because you're like, Chaz is gonna be a dad, but yes, he is. <laughs> Chaz will have all 19 of his homeschool kids and they will, they will live on the ranch. Um, but, but in that, the question becomes, when you go back and you look back on these pictures, when you look back on these memories, when you look back on the hashtag, which the hashtags probably won't exist at that point, but that's neither here nor there. When you go through that, you're gonna remember this week as probably one of two things. It's either gonna be this Katy Perry firework moment of your life, baby, you're fine, done. Like some of you, like your, your walk with God will be just about that. It'll be a short walk with God, right? It's, you had like 48 hours of a really spiritual high where you were really into Jesus that one time for a moment. And, and then it, it, what the scripture says is that Satan prowls like a roaring lion seeking whom he will devour. Like, like make no mistake, when you decide that you're gonna follow Jesus, your life doesn't get simpler, right? Your life gets phenomenally more complicated. You don't wake up every day and go, what does my flesh want, right? That, that this scripture tells us that we our call, 2 Corinthians 5, is to put to death the old way of thinking. If anyone is a new Christ, if anyone is in Christ, that's what Mia was just saying, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Therefore, we must put to death the old self, 1 Corinthians 6, for that is who you once were, but now you have been bought, you've been redeemed, and now you live differently. Now, the difference between those of us who will look back on the memories that were made here on this weekend, and we look at our kids and grandkids and our legacy of faith and say, guys, our household used to be run by Nebuchadnezzar. We used to be a Babylonian people for generations. Or my, some of you, that's the crazy thing about it. When I was a kid, everyone's parents were Christians. And the question was, are their kids Christians? And some of you right here are gonna go home to atheist, agnostic, non-believing, or parents who don't believe in Jesus. And so you don't just have Babylon or Babylonian ethics in your culture. You have it in your home. So good luck staying in the kingdom of God. Good luck continuing to follow God. I want you to hear the weight and the gravitas of what I'm saying and the weight of my sarcasm because if you don't take seriously what it will take for you to continue in faith, then Babylon is going to have you right where it wants you. If you think that this is some Nerf ball movement where you get to go down the hill and then for the next 40 years, everything's gonna go easy in your life, let me give you a little news flash. That's not the way that it works. When you get down the mountain, Satan, knowing, evil, knowing, and your flesh, knowing that you have made big decisions to follow Jesus, is coming for you. 
Here's how it's going to look. Some of y'all will enter into new relationships and you'll go, man, I did not know that they were interested in me, but you're going to find some Babylonian who really likes you and you need to get your value added to yourself and you really want to be liked and you want to be loved and you kind of just have always jumped from boyfriend to boyfriend or always jumped from girlfriend to girlfriend and you're going to get on the mountain from Hume Lake and you're ready to follow Jesus and here comes a Babylonian going, hey, sugar, and you're going to go, oh, mm, yes, yes. Let us be boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. I don't know how people talk anymore. We should talk, right? I don't know how anything works. But that will happen to a lot of us. A lot of us will think that we can make a big decision without making a big incision. That we can choose something as big as readjusting the focus of our life, but then go back and do the same things we used to do, and somehow those two are going to be copacetic. They're going to be complementary, and it's going to work out. I can now readjust the entire identity that I have, but go back and participate in the exact same friends group, in the exact same activities, watching the exact same stuff, listening to the exact same things, and in line in the, the anonymity of my own bedroom and what I look at online, what the internet sites that I click on, everything can be the same, but now I've added Jesus into my life. Jesus is not interested in being added to your life. I love this analogy that C.S. Lewis gives us. He says, many of us, when we ask Jesus into our life, do so as someone who invites Jesus to come in like a plumber to fix the pipes, right? You've got a house, it's your spiritual house. Okay? You live inside of that house and you recognize that your house, your soul is broken. Your body is messed up. Your flesh is weak. You need help. You are a dumpster fire. And so you hear this this weekend. You go, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I need Jesus to come into my life. I need him to come. And then you recognize some things in your house that need to be fixed. Okay. When you look at your own life, you go, oh yeah, I've got a couple of things that Jesus could work on. I'm gonna give him a little bit of a list of, what, of the things that he can tinker with and that he can change and tweak, and that's gonna kind of be his section of my life. And so he knocks on the door of your heart, you open that door, and you let him in, and you go, hi, it's me. Now, most of what I do is great. Most of what I do, I'm in control of it, and I'm gonna fix it, and I'm gonna take care of it. But, <laughs> We've got some things that need to be worked on. In the bathroom, under the sink, little knob where you turn it, both things are hot water. I need one to be cold, one to be hot. Fix that. Then the toilet, it keeps backing up. That would be helpful for you to fix. And there's a light bulb in the attic. And if you don't screw it in just right, it doesn't. And as you're talking, you hear, and you're like, where did Jesus go? You're like looking around for him. You got on your spiel, you were monologuing, and you've lost track of Jesus. Not a good thing to do. We're just kidding. But you can't find him. Where did Jesus go? And you walk in, and Jesus has a jackhammer in one hand. He has got a sledgehammer in the other hand. He's got safety goggles on, and he has taken out a bedroom in your home. And you're going, hey, hey, no, 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 no. What are you doing? No, no, no. I've invited you in. I've got things I want you to work on. Leave the rest to me. You see, the way that I live, the friends that I have, the things that I focus on, what I watch in the privacy of my own room, and the things that I participate in, those are not you things. That part of the house is off limits. Now, if we can get back to my list, and Jesus just took out a wing of the house, and then he added a staircase, and then he ripped off the roof, and you're going, what, what are you doing? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You don't understand. 
I intend on living here. And I'm remodeling your home so that I can make my home here forever. I'm not interested in what you want me to do. <laughs> I didn't come for partnership. I came for extreme makeover you edition. I came to come and to take over from the inside out. Nothing in your life will be left unchanged. This is what Romans 12 says. It says, therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your whole bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship, right? So don't come in here and think, when does worship start? As soon as the first drum click hits, right? Doom, doom, doom. Yahweh. That's not when worship starts, okay? That is a form of worship called worship through music. But Romans, the same guy, Paul, who writes Romans Road, there is a God, you've fallen short, that'll cost you everything. Turn your life over to Jesus. He demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, and you'll be saved. Two chapters later, writes, and if you want to maintain in Christ, if you want to continue in Christ, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. In other words, if you come in to a worship setting and you sing loud and you raise hands high and you bow knees low, and yet the way that you live isn't a spiritual act of worship, all the hands raised and the loud singing means nothing. It is the prayer, it is the worship of an unrighteous man, of an unrighteous woman. If you say, Jesus, you just take those things, I'm gonna still go on the weekend and sing really loud and that's gonna be my spiritual act of worship, Jesus says, no. Offering your whole selves to me is your spiritual act of worship. I own everything now. He intends on living where we used to have dirt, the sin, the dirt of sin. Here's what Daniel prays. This is Daniel chapter nine. Daniel looks forward to something. This is not the end of Israel's struggles, right? If you know anything about uh, uh, human history, world history, their exile in Babylon is not the end of their pain. As soon as they get back to Israel, it's like 14 minutes of joy, and then here comes Rome, right? You've got Assyria, you've got Babylon, you've got Rome, you've got Hellenism creeping in, you've got this Greek influence. In, in Jesus's time, Israel is a vassal state. It is, it is under the control of a Roman prefect. They're not even their own free people. They get the, their temple where they worship for so long, Jesus predicts in the book of John that this temple is gonna be taken down. It's, tr it's true. In the year 70 AD, in a battle, it's all taken over. And then here come the Muslims and here come, they just, so Daniel, looking forward to the continued pain of Israel, prays this deep prayer. To God, he says, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. This is Daniel chapter nine, beginning at verse four. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and your law. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. And he cries, and he calls out to God, and he asks for forgiveness, but he also looks forward to the strife that's coming. Because Daniel in the lion's den is not the end of the story, right? Daniel chapter six doesn't end with Daniel chapter seven, and Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego lived happily ever after. They're all dead. They all died. God did not sustain them up until now. None of y'all have met Daniel before, Shadrach, Meshach. They're all dead. It, it wasn't the end of their strife. It's not the end of Israel's strife. It's the beginning of it. And that's kind of what I want to end with as we have this conversation. Babylon deceives. And the great deception that you need to be aware of, the way that you get around deception is that someone tells you about it and then you believe it ahead of time. 
you resolve yourself ahead of time. Let me end with three things. I'm gonna keep this short. I know that you guys have had a long week. We've got Victory Circle and a lot of great things to go. If you want that moment where you look back on your memories of 2023 to be the beginning of a new legacy of faith in your household rather than some flash in the pan, Katy Perry firework, Mm, bottle rocket, pop, that was the end of your faith experience. If you want this to sustain, if you want to, be, to want to finish the race in Christ, you must be aware of Babylon's deceptions that are coming for you. Don't make this mistake. Listen to me. Salvation is a free gift. When you turn your life over to Jesus, it's not because you did anything. It was all him for you. Christ plus nothing. It was by grace, through faith, in Christ, revealed through scripture for God's glory alone. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For it is by grace, unmerited favor. It is, for it is by grace, through faith. You receive it by simply declaring, I believe. By grace, through faith, in Christ. Says this, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through Christ. Not of yourselves. Not by works, so that no one can boast. Salvation is free. The process of getting rid of the old dead sin in your life and learning to follow this new king and in his kingdom and shaking off the Babylon that you have been dipped in for the last 15, 16, 17, 18 years, to get rid of that, to throw it off and to follow Christ until your death will cost you everything. Salvation costs you nothing except for a moment of surrender, but it was all paid for by Jesus. But when the Bible talks about after you're converted, if you want to not go back to your old way of living, here's what Jesus says. If anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Paul says, in order to finish the race in Christ, I beat my body and I make it my slave. He uses three analogies in the New Testament to talk about perseverance in Christ. Like a soldier ready for battle, like an athlete in deep and strict training, and like a farmer waking up early, diligently looking over his crops. All of these people are the personification of diligence, focus, attempting to make sure they weed out all the problems and staying focused on the goal. Do not make a mistake. If you go home and think that the moment that you stood was the end of your battle, you will be like the sorriest saps in every war that's ever been. The most dangerous position to be in any war is on the battlefield, not recognizing you're in the middle of a war. <laughs> that's the worst place you could be. Because you're not gonna be aware, you're not gonna duck under cover, you're not gonna see your comrades, you're not gonna arm yourself, you're not gonna be attuned to the enemy's schemes. Imagine someone like in World War II during trench warfare who walks across no man's land like, this is great, Where, this is the weather we're having. That guy is dead, right? D-E-D, -E dead. And he's not coming back, right? Because he's not aware. So I wanna finish this week by just making you aware of what's gonna happen when you go home. These are called deceptions. Deceptions by nature are things that we're prone to not believe. So I'm gonna tell you three things and let me tell you what your heart's gonna do first as soon as I tell them to you. You're gonna do what a man named Lloyd Christmas once did. Listen, this is a true story. There's a man named Lloyd Christmas and a woman named Mary Swanson. And Lloyd Christmas asks Mary Swanson, who is way out of his league. What, you guys know what I'm talking about? He asks her, Lloyd Christmas is dumb, okay? Mary Swanson is gorgeous. And Lloyd Christmas asks Mary Swanson, what are the odds of a guy like you and a girl like me, he should have said girl like you and a guy like me, but he made a mistake, okay? 
So Lloyd Christmas, who's a total nerd, who has nothing going for him, asked Mary Swanson, what are the odds of, I'll use the right language, of a guy like me and a girl like you ending up together? Mary Swanson says, not good. Lloyd Christmas says, not good like one out of a hundred? Mary Swanson says, not good like one out of a million. To which Lloyd Christmas says, so you're telling me there's a chance. Listen, high schoolers, I spent 11 years as a youth pastor and I heard this all the time. I could teach every week about high school relationships and how you're going to cross sexual boundaries and you're not gonna end up together. And it is so infinitesimally small that you will ever be the one that they marry. And I will tell that to, there'll be couples sitting there and they'll be together and I'll say, I'll ask the smartest people you know, psycho, psychotherapists, relationship experts, marital experts, people who have written books on Christian dating and Christian love, there'll be a part of a panel and I'll say, give me a percentage of high school relationships that you think end up being healthy, God honoring and pushing the other person towards Jesus that end in marriage. And then we do a panel and to a person, everyone goes 1%, half a percent, 1%, half a percent. And do you know what every couple sitting in the audience, if there's 300 people sitting listening to that talk, do you know what every couple does when they say 1%? The guy looks at the girl. The girl looks at the guy. And they go, Anyway, no. So, why do I tell you that? I tell you that because you need to recognize that the Bible is true in all things. Remember how it predicted to the day Jesus' triumphal entry? It also says this, your heart is desperately wicked, deceitful, and beyond taming, Jeremiah 17, verse 9. No one is able to tame the human heart. It says that you should not rely on what you think is right, but instead on the wisdom of those around you. The Bible says that your heart is open to deception, which means when I say these three things, potentially most of us in here, our first response is not me, not us, or the 1%. If you think to yourself, not me, I'm the 1%, know that you are being deceived. This is what the Bible says. Here's the three Babylonian deceptions I wanna give you as you walk out of here. Number one is this. This is a direct quote from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you want to finish this race in Christ and you want this to be more than a flash in the pan week, then you must hear this truth. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. And let me tell you what a lot of your hearts just thought. No. I'm gonna go back to my Babylonian friends and I am going to let them influence me. But in the process, I'm gonna influence them. And they are all going to see my light. And just like the old song goes, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Don't let Satan it out. I'm gonna let it shine. Okay, this is what we think. Now, should you be a witness to Babylon around you? Yes, but you don't invite Babylon to be your primary source of understanding what is right and wrong and good and bad in the world. 
You don't let it be your anchor, your cannon, your measuring stick, your thermostat in your life that tells you what is right and what is wrong. You influence it, but you influence it with a band of brothers who are on the same page of you following Christ. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. If you go home and your whole friends group is Babylonian, you need to recognize the Bible has a lot to say about that. There's one study that was done in a secular magazine that said, or in, in the New England Journal of Psychology, that said you are currently becoming the average spirituality of the five people closest to you. It doesn't say, what if you became the spiritual uh, center of the five people closest to you? It said, that's what's happening. Your brain is neuroplastic. It's forming every minute. It's not static. That's why we can create addictions and how we can fix mental illnesses and that we receive different kinds of compulsory disorders because our brain is not static. We train it. It's like Play-Doh. And the more that we form it into certain things, the more that it stays in those until we change it. Your friends group might need to change if you're going to take this Jesus thing seriously. You might need to break up with someone if you want to take this Jesus thing seriously. Why am I telling you that? Because the Bible tells you that. Do not be unequally yoked with a non-believer, the scripture says. Don't go, well, Chris said, no, that is what the gospel says, okay? Do not be deceived. First one. Bad company corrupts good character. Number two, the second Babylonian lie that you're going to believe going home. Do not be deceived. You can't do this alone. Do not be deceived. You can't do this alone. I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. And I love that a lot of you are taking notes. Listen, don't forget this. Your Christian life, your relationship with God is personal, but it's not private. We are a privatized society, right? We want to, this, it's, it's not, that's between me and God. Your relationship with God is not between you and God. Every you in the New Testament is in the second plural, y'all. You guys, I'm from the South. It's literally, I know Greek because I say y'all. Every you in the New Testament is not you, Cassandra, you, Jimmy, it's y'all the church. What, is your name Jimmy? Cassandra, that makes more sense because you're a girl. I probably should have guessed that. <laughs> That's my name. Lloyd Christmas? Okay. Y'all, when Paul writes the idea that you are a royal priest, he's talking about the church, okay? Let me ask you a question. What is the power of a zebra's stripes? The power of a zebra's stripes is that it's in community, and when the lion comes to devour the zebra, it can't tell one from the other. It doesn't know where one begins and the other one ends. So when it goes to chase a herd of zebras on the savanna that is prototypically brown and grassy and sees a group of black and white zebras, it gets confused on how to chase one. The power of the zebra is in the herd. Now, is the zebra still a zebra when it's all by itself surrounded by lions? Yeah, that's still a zebra, but not for long, right? When we go, oh, no, you don't understand. I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. You sound like someone who says, oh, no, I don't need to be in a herd to be a zebra. You've mistaken the whole idea. Your relationship with Jesus is not a private affair. It is a 
why do we do, when we do baptisms, does it say, go into your room, fill up a little tub, and without anyone knowing, just dunk yourself three times? <laughs> no. Where did baptism take place? In the community of God, in the community of faith. Why? Because we do this together. So if you think you're going to start following Jesus, but not get involved in your local church, you're like a zebra on the savannah who goes, technically speaking, I'm still a zebra. <laughs> but anyone who's been in church for long is like David Attenborough going, ah, oh, that is a zebra for a few more moments. <laughs> That's all I think about. When a guy goes, oh, I don't need to be at church to be a follower of Jesus, I go, ah, a zebra on the savannah about to get devoured by a lion. Let's watch. And the lion isn't a real lion, which that would be gnarly, but the lion is culture. The lion is your sports team. The lion's a new relationship. The lion's pornography. This is the lions of our culture. And if you go by yourself, it's coming for you. That's just the way that it goes. Do not be deceived. You can't do this alone. And lastly, do not be deceived. If you don't kill sin, it will kill you. Do not be deceived. There's this notion that we have of these two ideas in scripture, and we do them the opposite in our culture. The idea is temptation and trials. The Bible says again and again, when you are tempted to sin, when you are tempted to give into sin, it tells us to do what? Run away, flee, get out of there. Don't flirt with it. Don't think you're gonna overcome it. Don't think that you're better than every spiritual father who's ever lived. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, what do they all have in common? They were sinners. Abraham lied. Uh, 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 Noah was a drunk, naked guy, right? Like, if, read the Bible. It's, I told you, it's not rated G. There's a lot of crazy stuff in there. Adam obviously made a big mistake. So for us to think, no. So you're telling me there's a chance. That line, if you don't know, is from the movie Dumb and Dumber, right? <laughs> So if you go, well, I think I'll be the 1%, friend, it's from the movie Dumb and Dumb, right? That's what the Bible thinks about that idea. It's not just dumb, it's dumber, okay? Now I'm trying to help you with that. If you don't kill sin, it will kill you. We're told in the Bible to run from temptation, but to stand firm in the midst of trials. We do the opposite. Temptation comes and we're like, I think I'm gonna beat this one. And then trials hit and we're like, out the door. So that means for a lot of us, there are addictions that we have. There is sin that we regularly feed. And when you go home, that monster that you've been feeding for a long time, be it some sort of sexual sin or it be some sort of um, addiction that you have or a chemical substance, you're gonna get home and you're gonna have a week of sobriety from that thing. And so it's still gonna be a monster, but it might be a little bit smaller of a monster. And you need to starve that monster until it dies and you have freedom from that. But if you go home and think, because now you're a spiritual giant, you can go feed that monster and watch it grow again, and you're going to win that fight, you're wrong. The Bible makes it very clear. Each of us are destroyed when we are, by our own selfish desires, the book of James tells us, led away by our own flesh. Then when that flesh is fully grown, it gives birth to death, and then that death gives, or that gives birth to sin, and then that sin gives birth to death. Okay? We think we can dip our toe in the, in the pool of sin like this, but we don't recognize is the ledge that you're standing on is both buttered and slanted. You're going in. And eventually, after a while, after you fall in, you'll start to like the water, and you'll stay there. This is how people fall away from Christ. They think, oh, no, it's just a little bit. And then they fall in, and then they go, what sin? I don't even know what sin is. It's like a fish in water wading through it. 
Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. Do not be deceived. You can't do this alone. Do not be deceived. If you don't kill sin, it will kill you. Every one of you knows a pastor who's been taken down by sin. Every one of you knows a youth leader who's been taken down by sin. Every one of you knows a small group leader who's been taken down by sin. Every single one of you. Do you want to know why? Because we've deceived ourselves to think, because I'm holy and righteous, I can sit in the middle of it and not give in. And we, even though we're adults, are dead wrong. May we not be a deceived people. These are the last lies of Babylon. If you want to end this race in Christ, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. If you don't kill sin, it'll kill you, and you cannot do this alone. I love you too much to not warn you of Babylon's schemes against you. It's gonna come in hot. It's gonna come in fierce. I want to see you all in the kingdom of heaven someday. That's a lot. It's the next time we're all gonna be in the same room. For those of us who are in Christ is when we're worshiping the king, shoulder to shoulder, in paradise, throwing a football, playing with football so that the youth pastors can get their revenge on us. This is the plan. But until then, we've got a long road ahead of us. May you be found faithful on that last day. And if you wanna set yourself up great on that last day, you make big resignations and big convictions today. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your goodness, for your grace and your mercy, for the power of your word, your scriptures, your spirit your church, your movement, this story in the Old Testament about Jesus that you call Daniel, where a man faces the persecution and the judgment of a corrupt people, and yet he is found to be just a foreshadowing of the time when you would come in human flesh and take away our sin. God, if we have surrendered that over to you, may we not be deceived by Babylon's schemes as we go back down the mountain. May we see them, point them out, name them, and not fall victim to them. God, would you let these students know how stinking loved they are, how beautiful that you are making their story out to be when you see them in your kingdom forever. Would you strike the perfect balance of fear in their hearts towards following you, but deep love of a father looking down on them so proud of them. You don't just love them, but you like them. You delight in them with song. May we finish this race being found in you for your salvation is free, but discipleship is gonna cost us everything. Give us your spirit to guide us in all of those things. It is the great consummation gift of our belief is that you put your Holy Spirit inside of us, but then you start knocking down walls because you're gonna live here forever. So let me pray, amen.